0: Our speaker today is John Vetrans. He's been a missionary with this church for the last uh, 19 years or so, and it's such a pleasure to have him with us. And we're going to have John come now and address you. Come, our brother.
1: Well, praise the Lord. Praise it has been a wonderful morning, and uh, thank you so much for the music. We've always looked back uh, whenever we come back here, every four or five years, uh, we look forward to the uh, wonderful message of song. It's really healing and uplifting for us. Just a few words about, uh, about uh, my family. Uh, my wife and I both are um, originally from Romania. We were born and raised in Romania, and our parents fled communism in the early 70s. And, um, Oops, thank you. In the early 70s and uh, uh, in the mid-70s, by God's grace, we were given the privilege to, uh, to, to come to this wonderful land of honey and milk. Um, it is a privilege, I say, we, we don't deserve that. My wife was nine years old when she came and I was, uh, I was 18. Let me just share with you a little bit during Romania was uh, one of the, uh, the cruelest uh, uh, dictatorship in Eastern Europe. And at that time during the communist regime, the government uh, sold people. And uh, they, they sold the Jews and they sold uh, evangelicals and Germans. They wanted to get rid of them. And the evangelicals were a threat to the, uh, to the communist regime and to their philosophy. So when my father, uh, my father escaped through Greece and my wife's dad escaped through Austria over the mountains. And then when he came here... He really wanted the whole family to come, and uh, it, it was nearly impossible. Anytime I went to ask for a passport, and, and they would kick me out. They would literally just take me and kick me out of the, uh, the uh, police uh, department there. Uh, my father met a Jewish doctor here, a Romanian Jewish doctor here in Hayward, California here. And uh, he knew about this, uh, it's called the government Gentlemen's agreement where they were selling people for hard currency. So um, my father was told that it cost $5,000 to to uh, buy us out of the country. So that's what he did. Uh, no money orders, no checks. My dad worked hard. He worked as a janitor for a candy factory in Oakland. And uh, <clears throat> I remember his house was 16000 Coming up with $5,000 was a lot of money. But I can say that by God's grace, I've been redeemed twice. <laughs> once by my heavenly father through Jesus Christ. And once by my dad. Well, you know, the minute my father paid the money here because they've sent their, uh, their people uh, in U.S. and they've got the money, they will count it all. And within not even a month, I was called in and I was giving all the, uh, the paperwork and the, the passport to leave the country. So uh, this was in the mid-70s. Uh, I met my wife here. I am in love with her for 30 years. She is the most beautiful-looking Romanian young lady here. I don't know what I would do without her, anyway. Well, um, uh, by trade, I am a tool and dye maker, and I've worked in aluminum foundry for, tw- for uh, nearly 20 years here in, in California, where... Uh, even during my, uh, my tool and die making, I've always enjoyed God's word, and uh, it is precious, and especially there was so much persecution, even as a young man. You know, imagine being in a church, and the KGB would sit behind, and they will always watch, and they will always spy what passage, who preaches, who speaks, and uh, uh, any, any, what kind of songs and anything was going on. I grew up in that kind of environment, so I've learned to treasure and to love God's word. And uh, I remember when I received my first Bible, it was on a Friday evening when uh, the elder of the church, we didn't have a pastor, uh, but the elder of the church came forward and, and uh, he told us not to leave because he has a gift for us. And, uh, uh, and it was hand, handmade bags that I brought Bibles in for everyone. So that's how I received. I was just a young man. I was uh, about... Um, 14-year-old at that time. Uh, the Bibles were smuggled in. And I don't know if you, you, you don't see them too often here, but there were those uh, Volkswagen buses, kind of a weird-looking one, kind of a hippish type of thing, you know. They're painted weird. Uh, you see them in Sonoma County sometimes <laughs> around there. But anyway, they were built. They were built with uh, double walls and at a push of a button. You know, they would open up and then the Bibles would drop out. And that's how we got my first Bible you know, in Romania. So I fell in love with the Bible, and uh, I wanted to study the Scripture. And in 1987, even though I've worked full-time, in the evenings, um, I joined and I, I went to Western Seminary in Los Garros, where um, at that time, uh, Pastor Philip Howard was one of the professors there. And uh, uh, I started in 1887. I didn't know that communism would collapse. It came in 1989 when uh, communism collapsed and the Iron Curtain uh, dropped. So therefore Romania (coughs) was free. And for the first time in nearly half a century, people were enjoying freedom. Well... I even remember, you know, the moments that uh, it was was, uh, a systematic theology and practical theology. And and I remember when Pastor Philip Howard, once he spoke about the attributes of God. And we were just so fascinated about God's beauty for the first time exposed to His uh, love. And and then to the the, the harmony of uh, the balance between God's love and God's righteousness and God's justice and uh, God's holiness and all that. And it was a class of about 20, 20 students, and uh, uh, there were some of the long classes, about six-hour classes on, on Saturdays, and uh, I remember that uh, Pastor Philip Howard sensed that uh, the, st- the students were captivated, and uh, he stopped the session, and uh, I said, we, we believe, I think we need, we need to get the prayer, I think we need to pray. And that's what we did the whole class. We bowed down. And, and it was the, the presence of the Spirit of God is in such a unique way. And I remember I have colleagues from Silicon Valley and, and they were all praying and all of us sensed really the, the amazing presence of God. And I remember a few prayers, but there was one prayer there that remained with me and motivated me. And I believe it was at that time that God was already preparing of me and my family to serve the Lord. And uh, there was one prayer and it sounded like this. And it was tears and crying, God, I'm tired of being touched by your word. I don't want to be touched anymore by your word. I want to be changed by you. And it was just amazing, you know, to see men, husbands and fathers crying out with a sincere desire to start a new life and to really serve God. This was one of the moments where I've been really challenged, and you know, uh, it it was just wonderful because uh, um, I remember I grew up in a way, in my young family, in a church in Oakland, California, Melrose Baptist Church. Maybe some of you remember that. And uh, uh, when communism collapsed, the gentleman came to me and he said, "John, he was a tall with a Swedish background. Have you ever thought of going back to your own country? You know the language, you know the culture." Would you like to be our hand there? And, you know, at that moment, I, I hesitated, you know, and, uh, <laughs> um, you know, so many people wanted to come here to enjoy this country. And here you are, established. I've worked, I had a very good job, full insurance and benefits and, and uh, having our own house and the dream and all that stuff. And um, even some of the family said, you guys are stupid. You're going that way and, <laughs> and, and everybody comes this way. But you know, it's just amazing how God changes our lives, our vision, and our direction. In 1992, we've been appointed with a Conservative Baptist uh, to go to Romania. We left in 1994, and since then, we've been serving the Lord in Romania. So here we are. There, my beautiful wife. That's the area where we are serving. It's by the Carpathian Alps. That's our two beautiful children. Our uh, daughter Daniela, she graduates this May from Liberty University, majoring in music and worship, and she is flying with us back in June, in June, so we will be serving together. Our son Jonathan, he is spending time in the children's classes at this time. He graduated with his master's in business. He leads the worship and the music, although he is involved in his own mini construction uh, uh, company that he has there, that he works, but he is involved with us as a whole family. So, Uh, I I, I praise God that I can say, uh, me and my house, we serve the Lord. So I see a good example in you here. (laughs) Thank you for the modeling and the example that you have given to us as a family here. Um, Let's go a little bit. Just um, to share a little bit about uh, Romania. You you probably know about Eastern Europe. Romania is a a small country by the Black Sea. Uh, You see Ukraine and you see Bulgaria and uh, Serbia... Right there, we are located on the western part of Romania, uh, basically called called Transylvania. Right there, uh, it is a beautiful country. Um, y- population is about 22 million people. It's basically an agricultural country. Language, what makes Romania? unique and like an island in Eastern Europe, Romania is the only Latin nation, the Latin speaking, very close to Italian, very close to Spanish, so people speak with their hands all the time. (laughs) Uh, Most of the countries, uh, you will have Ukraine, you will have Poland or uh, Serbia or Bulgaria, they are all Slavic speaking Russian related languages right there. Romania has joined the European Union, does not have the Euro, thank God for (laughs) right now, Do not have the Euro for now. Just to hear about the language, well, cum uh, te cama. And in Spanish, you will say, como te cama. So, um, if you would say the days of the week, Luni, Marz, Mercury, and in Spanish, you will probably say just about the same thing. Now, because Romania is part of the European Union, uh, Romanians are all over the place, uh, especially in Spain. There are about two million Romanians, and I've been invited to preach and, and uh, um, evangelistically in two locations there. Were because now there is no need for passports and uh, uh, passes; they just travel all over Europe, right there. Let's go a little bit further on. Uh, most of the uh, Romanians are Eastern Orthodox. Eastern Orthodox are very close to it's. It's, it's not a practicing religion. Um, it's very much ritualistic, just like Catholicism, very much tradition involved. There is, there is not much said about the personal relationship with Jesus Christ or, or uh, being born again or anything like that. Catholics are just about 4.7%. Protestants are under 10%. It's the country the, with the highest percentage of evangelicals in Europe in relationship to the population. So when I speak of 22 million people, the 10% of the uh, 22 million people, it's the highest percentage of evangelicals um, out of entire Europe. So France does not have uh, 10% evangelicals. You know, like France has uh, nearly 10 million Muslims or so forth. So uh, Romania has been really growing evangelically after the collapse of communism. So Eastern Orthodox is very close to the only difference from... Eastern Orthodox to Catholicism is that the priests are allowed to marry and have family while the priests in a Catholic church are not. Now, uh, the minute we got into Romania in 1994, we've seen the the need was for equipping the nationals. Imagine for nearly half a century there was no freedom. Churches were not able to be planted. Um, uh, There was a need to to train and equip the nationals to be involved in the reproduction the leadership. The philosophy of communism was to to diminish, to destroy the development the leadership and so forth. So um, one thing I was asked to do is to teach in in the uh, seminary in Bucharest Uh, now let me just give you a little bit a story about the seminary in Bucharest this Baptist seminary in Bucharest was established in 1920s by American missionaries So way before communism. Communism took over after the Second World War, after 1945. Well, in 1920s, American believers, this is about vision, and this is just so important and exciting. In 1920s, missionaries from U.S., they went to Romania, and they purchased the property downtown capital city of Bucharest, prime property there. When communism, and and there were dozens and dozens, hundreds of students that had been equipped uh, and served in Romania up to the communism in 1945 or so. And then when communism took over, they wanted to destroy this. They wanted to just uh, uh, diminish and, 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 and take over the whole institution. Well, they couldn't because they found out that on the title, the minute you step into it, it's American property. It acts like an American embassy. So it was just amazing to see that right after the collapse of communism, it was just exploded. Hundreds of students have started to be equipped. And I've had, over all these 19 years that I've been teaching a couple of courses there... I've had students from entire Romania, from Moldova, from Ukraine, from Sudan, and from Korea that have come to study scripture right there in, 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 in Romania. Now, during communism, they were able to do was uh, limit the, the, the enrollment to four students every four years. Imagine. Four students every four years. When four will graduate, then another four were allowed, were, were, were screened and permitted to attend seminary. All this, you know, over, um, over 30, 40, 50 years. Well, now uh, the Lord has opened the door. So to me... It was important because all of these are young men. They're very young when they graduate from seminary. But I, the Lord has given me the privilege to have a part in, in nearly 20 generations of new leaders and new pastors in, in Romania. One other aspect of the ministry. This is also teaching. And uh, uh, one other aspect of the ministry is um, interim pastoral ministry. Now imagine, there were hundreds of new churches that have been planted. There have been a, 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 a churches planted nearly in just about every village. So I was asked to to uh, do interim pastorate in different churches until seminary students will graduate on when people will get trained and equipped. And this what you see there um, where is the cross. That was a warehouse. That was a warehouse when they were collecting uh, paper and they were collecting gr- uh, grass and a recycling center right there. Uh, a young man who was, uh, uh, ele- he was elected and ordained as an elder, he was an architect. And he turned that warehouse into a beautiful auditorium. Uh, I I was asked to to pastor the church until he does his seminary training. So I did. The first year, 100 new believers came to Christ. 100 new believers came to Christ in that particular church right there. Yeah. And uh, you know what was amazing? What was amazing? That we've realized that the youth is... uh, uh, is, is, is the most open. So we've realized that besides the, besides the interim pastor and ministry, we need to focus at the younger generation. Uh, and so in every church, our accident of focus was at the younger generation that haven't been brainwashed by communism. Yeah. Here is um, the churches that I'm serving right now. There are two beautiful small village churches. Now, um, Romania, it's mostly agricultural. And um, um, everybody, just every house, every family has cows. Uh, One family has about 60 goats, uh, sheep, and so forth. So after every service, now I preach in the morning at two churches. Because there are two ch- I have two churches that are about 15-20 minutes apart from each other. So I preach at the first one. Um, and then by 11 o'clock I, I'm driving and I preach at the other one. In the evening, one starts at 5 o'clock and then the second one starts at 7 o'clock. But they were timed in such a way because the, the, the sheep and the cows, they, they have their own, their own timing. And and they're coming home, so the people, by the time, uh, by 7 o'clock, the animals are are already arrived, and then everybody comes to church there. So um, this is just a a beautiful, uh, beautiful uh, uh, way in reaching out people because evenings are the most important services. Evenings are uh, evangelistically tented, so we have a a new... Believers inviting their friends and their unsaved relatives and neighbors. Here we have a baptism right here. These are our children right there. Everybody worship together. We don't have Sunday schools because you don't have rooms or so-so. Children and youth and everybody comes in at the same time right there. Evangelism ministry, every pastor is involved in evangelism. That's at two times traditionally during the year, February and March, and then a, uh, uh, of October, November, when pastors all rotate. Uh, so all across Romania, every church, they have one week long evangelistic meetings. And uh, it starts with uh, about one hour of music, and then one hour of preaching. So from, from Sunday to Sunday. So every year, I get a chance to speak at about a couple of dozen. I don't remember... Very few occasions when people do not accept Christ. When people will not come forward and accept Christ. So here is an evangelistic meeting outside. As you see right there, you have the chickens, dogs, everybody's in it, involved right there. The whole village comes. It's a, here you have a church on, on, uh, on your right and my left here. Uh, if you're not there in time, you can get in. If you're not there in time, you can get in. People are, uh, the church on the corner is the church here where I am in the middle People are all the way around the pulpit, and the children are sitting behind uh, in front and behind, so I can't even move after I'm in right there. Uh, this This is a home church, and this is how it starts. A church when it's planted. Somebody offers a room or somebody offers their house for a Bible study. So basically when I say preaching, it's not always preaching. It's talking to people. It's sharing with people about who God is, who Christ is, and what Christ has done for you in a simple way. Somebody asked me, you know, do I need to, do I need to be uh, uh, trained and do I need to have diploma? You don't need to have nothing. You need to have the Spirit and you need to have the joy of the Spirit to be able to share Christ right there. <laughs> I had some of the students that after they graduated seminary, they went to England to do, some, uh, to do some extended education. By the time they come back, I won't understand anything they say, you know, after they got all that sophisticated stuff. Yeah. Here is our family serving together. Our daughter and our son right there and my family. Yes. This is a reformed church. And uh, it's a, it's the Reformed church in Europe is nearly dead. uh, The headquarters in in Holland. Uh, But they have a good theology. They're Calvinistic, but, but it's just uh, so we have a church in, in, uh, in our town. And um, I was invited to preach there. Oops. Okay. There are people that accepted Christ. And usually it's just amazing. Anytime people come forward and accept Christ, they're crying they see the joy out of their face. They don't even know what they're crying. It's just the gladness and the joy of the Spirit. So I stay with them and I, preach, I talk to them. And one thing that I want to make sure I want to tell them and they need to know is that even though they accepted Christ, they need to understand that it's, it's not that you're not going to sin anymore, but you are going to sin. But the provision of forgiveness is there because some people hesitate, you know. So it's important you have Christ that is there at the right side of the Father. And he's the one that is mediating for us. So um, you see a lot of people, elderly and young people that have accepted Christ right there. It is a baptism that we do outside of the river. Usually baptism is a community celebration. I mean, it's a big deal. Three-hour service. The city hall comes. The mayor comes. The neighbor comes. So it's, it's not just a, 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 a quick thing right there. No. they always, they're dressed in white. And each one comes before the congregation, before the public, and gives their personal testimony. What God has done for me. This is my life before. I was an alcoholic. I was an immoral. I was so and so. Look what Christ has done for me. I am a new creature in Christ. So they are giving this testimony publicly. Yeah. Now, uh, this is a... Uh, a baptism that is done outside right there. We don't have a, a, a thing inside, so we do it right outside. In the middle, right there, this is, a, this is a gypsy church. I don't know if you've ever been into one of those gypsy churches, but it's really exciting because these guys are really uh, into it. They are very enthusiastic and they are very passionate. So, I was invited at evangelistic meeting and all of those people accepted Christ. So then I was invited to go back. What I like to, to, when I'm invited, there is a village that it's only gypsies, you know, almost 100%. Now gypsies, if you're familiar, they're very, they, are, they immigrated from somewhere from Mongolia and India. They are related and so forth. But they are very, uh, uh, they, I don't know if you've ever been into a black church. They talk to you. They gear up. They speak to you. They are just so, uh, it's easy to approach very open, yes. Now, youth ministry. As I mentioned, we have every month we have uh, youth uh, rallies where youth comes from all over the place. Uh, and we have it in our own town, because churches do not have youth pastors. Churches are very small. Some churches are 50 members, some churches are 40 members, and they could not afford youth pastors. So what we did, every month we have activities, concerts, and we have uh, uh, all these youth. Some churches have three, some churches have 10 youth, and so forth. When we say youth, it it's all together. Have the lessons, some are 14, some are 13, some are 26, some are, so there is no discrimination right there. It all come together at right all ages, yes. Here we are serving together with uh, our family. And this is, youth uh, 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 youth. imagine getting three or four for one year, 400 people every Saturday night. There are more people on Saturday than, than you would have on Sunday. And you know what I've seen is that it's interesting that you always have the, the, the major obstacles and barriers. is traditionalism, you know, uh, ritualism. Even among evangelicals. But you know, the youth, they don't care. You can do anything you want with them. With the, with the older generation, you know, 50s and 60s, can't do very much. You know, the maintenance work. That's about all. I <laughs> These guys are stubborn. But anyway, the youth... Is open. The youth is really open. And uh, every year I am invited to speak at this camp here that a uh, few hundreds of, of youth come, uh, students. So you have here on your, uh, on your right here, I kneel down with those that accepted Christ. About a dozen right there. We have about a uh, half hour away, we have the ski slopes. Down. Now, I'm not a... Um, uh, I, I like to ski, but not slowly, slowly. But you know what, what happens... Uh, I was invited at a small church in South Lake Tahoe. And uh, I was given about six minutes to say a couple of words about ministry in Romania. So what can you say in six minutes? This is grace and privilege to be able to share with you for more than half an hour. So I've told him, these guys in Lake Tahoe, I said, you know, we got snow too, you know. So after the service, a gentleman came to me and he said, you know, John, do you want some skis? And I said, well, it would be nice. But, you know, people say things, promise things, and you never hear from them. But anyway, this time, this time, after, you know, a week or so, he called me. And he said, John, do you still want the skis? I have them for you. I say, yes, I would like to. I have a hundred pairs. Oh. But there were even more afterwards with the snowboards and uh, all the clothing and all the boots and everything else. So we find a way to ship them there because skiing is expensive, you know, so... Uh, we take the youth out 12 or uh, 14 or so Uh, we rent a little cabin and we've seen many of them accept Christ and even out of this bunch that you see here at at your left right there so uh, here is Jonathan my son is right there flying anyway yes now I wanted to say that it was mentioned a little bit about the impact of your ministry and about your faithfulness over the years when we when we I started to work in this section of the country in Romania. We've seen the need to have our own place, to, uh, our own platform to develop for training and equipping the nationals. You know, it's just amazing when you have the autonomy of training and equipping. And I want to say that because you know, um, I mentioned a little bit this morning about uh, the, the church that I like to worship the most. It's it's one of those churches that is not even it's it's, it's not a Baptist, but it's not a Pentecostal, but it's kind of a Bapticostal type of thing. And I, and I tell you why because if you get into a real, real historical, traditional Baptist church, it's kind of dry. They got theology and they got they got the doctrine, but they don't have the warm, the heart, you know. But then when you get into a Pentecostal Costature boy those guys are flying I'm telling you they are really excited so once you can get them together you know kind of a baptical type then things are moving you know so I think we got it this morning with the music here so we wanted to have a place to do to invite people not only for us to do the ministry but to facilitate for others to come and we hope and we pray that one of those days the Lord will bring you pastor Howard to come to visit us there in Romania yes yeah. this is a this was a property that when we when we when we purchased this property was a 50 feet by 50 feet was eight dollars imagine eight dollars the forest was all almost free on that so it was just so inexpensive but uh, the roof on this property it was because of your giving because of your faithfulness. In fact. We struggle, what are we, how are we going to cover, how are we going to put the roof on it? And it was just amazing how God has blessed us through Valley Bible, through you. So um, we've been able to, this building is nearly finished. Here is the auditorium. Here we, on the left side, you see where we hold the conferences there. It's about 150. We feel that we made it too small because it's always packed, you know, with people. Here is where we have the youth and where we have conferences right there. This is what you see right from the balcony. Those are the Carpathian Alps right there in Romania. To me, every four years, we have a chance to come back. But it is a privilege to be able to express our gratitude in person and to thank you from our hearts for being partners with us, for being partners for the kingdom. And I wish that some of you will be able to come to see the fruits of your faithfulness there in Romania. Uh, I sure, we should sure appreciate... The fact that uh, we have this time to share with you. Now, in a few minutes that we have left here, I'd like to, I'd like to uh, uh, share with you about Romania, but in the context of the scripture. Because uh, this will give us more understanding of how things have changed and why things have changed from communism now to freedom. And how people there in Romania uh, are taking advantage how and what can we learn from what has been happening? And how can things change in our lives from their experience there? Now, um, you know, uh, we, we are living through very interesting times. We see this globalization and the changes and the crisis that we have, financial crisis. You've seen the collapse in Greece and then in entire Europe and the dream of European Union is kind of fading away. Their dream of the United States of Europe is kind of beginning to to shake a little bit right there. But in our financial crisis, political crisis, if you look in Iran, if you look in Iraq and if you look in Syria and, and, and we have the tornado, so it's social crisis, we have... Have a financial crisis and also spiritual crisis. But you know, faithfulness in times of crisis, it's the test for faithfulness. You know, when everything is all right, when the family is healthy, when the wife is okay, the children are okay, and, and the paycheck is there, and we have a job. It's easy to be faithful. But in times of hardship, why churches have been growing in China during communism? Why there are thousands of hope churches and thousands of believers that people are coming to Christ? How come the church have survived during the communist regime? Why? Because they were people. They were faithful people. At any price, at any cost, they were there faithful to Jesus Christ. So I believe that in times like this, God it's testing us. We have so much freedom right now to, to communicate the good news, to serve the Lord. And as, you, as, as Apostle Paul, and I want to bring out the attention to you, the passage in Philippians chapter 3. I know you know the, the passage because uh, I'm sure that has been preached on this. But uh, I, I believe that Apostle Paul was so concerned about, uh, although he was just about ready to, to be with the Lord. But he wanted to make sure that the believers would remain faithful that they will stay in the race, that they will communicate the gospel, that they will be victorious, they wouldn't abandon the dream and and their responsibility. So here in this Philippians chapter, uh, uh, it's Apostle Paul wants to communicate in such a wonderful way what does it mean to be faithful? And I believe that in times like this, when we see the prophecies fulfilled, just about all of them, there are a few prophecies that needs to be fulfilled. If you look to the book of Jeremiah, or if you look to the book of Isaiah, we see that it's 1159. Christ could come any time, and only what we do for Christ will stay. Only what we do for Christ will stay. So it's imperative at this time for the church, for the believers, wherever we are, to give it all and be faithful. So Apostle Paul, I, I looked at this passage and I was just amazed, you know, how I, I what I've seen Pastor Philip Howard and as as my teacher, I, I like in a humble way to, to, I was a young man then when you, when you stood in front of the class and I I like to consider myself a, a tiny Timothy because you have been an Apostle Paul in the way you challenged and encouraged us. And I believe that Apostle Paul wanted to do the same thing for the believers, to stay up, to stand up and stand strong. Now, from verses, from verses 7, because we want to answer the question, how can you be faithful? Who is really faithful? And faithfulness really has to do with relationship with the Lord and has to do with the leading of the Spirit, with the maturity, with well, spiritual maturity. And you know, the, if the thermometer of our relationship with Jesus is, is low, the, uh, faithfulness, it is, it is low. You know, so I believe that that the closer we walk with God, the more we are in control and the authority of the Spirit, the more faithful we are. And this is what Apostle Paul wanted to communicate here. So first of all, how who is really faithful? Who is the man? Who is the one that is really faithful? And he's not speaking about religious here. He's not speaking about denominations here. He's really speaking of being faithful because he's faithful and he's always faithful. First of all, being faithful in verses Amen, amen. Being faithful, first of all, the one that is faithful, the man who is faithful, had a true sense of values. True sense of values. Let's see here. Okay. Verses 7 and 8. And there are a few uh, phrases here that I want to mention to you. And then I'll share some experiences from Romania. Look at the phrases in this passage. Things that were gained to me. And he speaks, he says, But whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as loss. For the sake of Christ, more than that I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ this is spiritual economics once you know Christ your your system of values changes your priorities changes you can't be the same your hobbies changes your thinking changes everything changes so Apostle Paul says I know where I've been before before I knew Christ and now things that were dear to me things that I've enjoyed things that I've loved all of these things I detached from them I abandoned them because I know the value of knowing Christ oh the song the song this morning I didn't even know it was the spirit I didn't know what song you're going to (laughs) choose this morning but you know to know him to know his righteousness he Apostle Paul mentions here you know how how much do we love Christ uh, how, in our eyes, how important is Christ to us? So here is the question really. Am I really uh, learning to suffer? Am I really learning to give? Uh, am, I, I, am I learning to lose? You know, one that has influenced my life and that has contributed to me uh, going into the, serving the Lord was my grandfather. He was really a faithful man. Uh, he was an itinerant preacher, although he was a carpenter. So he preached from Friday night, he would go into the villages and preach the gospel. Well, when communism took over, this was, this was really um, uh, a no-no for them. So they, what they did is they, they searched for all preachers and for all that would proclaim the gospel. My grandfather hid in the chimney. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with it in Eastern Europe. The chimneys are... are why? Then have a double chamber there because they smoke when they do the fire they smoke the sausages and the ham and the bacon and all that so he hid in the chimney for three years he would he would he would be there during the day and at night time he would come down to be with the family and three years until somebody from his own family relatives turned him in for communist favors. They turned him in. And then it started the persecution. And then it started the torture. They confiscated everything. They took away the house. They took away the property. They took away everything they've had. And they were not allowed to return back to their home. He was exiled in the southern part of Romania by the Danube River. And I remember my mom took me as a, as a three, four year old to visit my grandfather exiled there. Now I want to ask you this. Uh, If somebody if if the system would change, if politics would change, and and everything will be taken away from you for the sake of Christ. Are you ready to say exactly what the Apostle Paul says? The things that were important to me, I counted all loss in a view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I suffered the loss of all things and count them to be rubbish. It's just amazing. We've talked about faithfulness here. And we've talked about, you know, the, uh, the uh, paying the loan and, and, and costs. And, you know, it's a question of vision and faithfulness. If there wouldn't have been American missionaries in 1920s, to think ahead, to have the vision for the grandchildren and the children and the great-grandchildren. And this is all about here. It's not just paying a mortgage. Here, and it's not just, it, they, were, they were faithful to see that it will serve for the glory of God. And it's just amazing to see how important it is. The phrases that that caught my eye: things were the things that were gained to me; things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I count all things to be lost. The surpassing value of knowing Christ, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. You know, it's just amazing to see. You know, the maturity of those believers that, you know, during communism, uh, you either had to choose. You want to go to the university? You want to have a high position in society? You want to have a good a job that is good paid? Then, deny the church. Then, deny your Jesus. And then, become a communist. Become a party member. And then, you will have all those benefits that you can enjoy. It was amazing that after I got into Romania to see people that confessed their sins. And I remember one gentleman that he was a general attorney and how his young, younger son accepted Christ first and then his other son and then his wife. And then he was invited to come to church and he resisted for a while. And then finally, after a couple of hours behind them, he went to church. And to hear these people that have even losing everything, their jobs, their possessions... For the sake of Christ. For the sake of Christ. And when you look over the history, all those believers that have been a model for us, you know, um, to be faithful. And, you know, when I think of myself, you know, when I was 18 years old, I got married at 24 years old, and I've had everything, and I enjoyed, you know, my new house and the family, and then you get established in security and all that. Let's face it, we all have a little materialism in us. You know, and, how I, had, and I was a little shaky, and I said, am I, am I going to leave all this behind? Am I going to get it back? Am I going to be able to? And you know something? God is Jehovah Jireh, and he's the God of provision, and nothing will miss. He will give it all, you know, and we never regret it because the Lord has been good to us and he's been always faithful. So the question is, you know, the senses of value, the true sense of value. I look everything. I remember a book, a a chapter in John Calvin and and the chapter that he wrote, you know, in, in Christian Institutes was living in the light of eternity, living in the light of eternity because, you know, we are going to see him and we are going to give an account. Of our life. Secondly, here in the passage, uh, not only that of a believer, uh, a faithfulness of a believer, it needs, needs to be seen in his, uh, in, his, in his values. But secondly, a faithful man has a true sense of identity. And there here, you see in verses 9 and verses uh, 10, uh, and I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, it from the law. But that which is through faith in Jesus Christ. And he speaks on, it goes on, and he says, all that I have in Christ, it is his righteousness. And I want to be identified with him, with his suffering, with the power of his resurrection. And you know, when we say identify with him, covered in him, and when a people looks at me, he will see Christ in me. And this, I want to mention this, because it was so important in Romania, how the church was growing. You, you're not able to, to, to evangelize anybody. You're not able to share Christ on the streets with anybody, but it was the personal testimony, identifying with Jesus Christ. When, during communism, people would see a believer, the one who knows how to, how to love and how to forgive and how to conduct himself as a father, as a husband, and so forth. And it was the testimony, identifying with Jesus Christ, modeling Jesus Christ. And that's how people would want to... go. How church was growing, because you couldn't preach evangelistically, you know, but he, it was a testimony, identifying with Jesus Christ. You know, one of the theologians that I have enjoyed very much over the years was uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a German theologian that has uh, he he wrote the book The Cost of Discipleship. I encourage you to read that. And uh, he during the Second World War he came he came and immigrated to the to America. And then he 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 began to really. Uh, 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 When he when he remembered his brothers and his churches suffering being persecuted by the Nazis, his conscience bothered him. And he decided he needs to go back. He needs to go back. He cannot enjoy the beauty and the blessings of this country when his brothers and sisters were suffering. So he went back. He was executed one day before Nazis collapsed. One day before the church was over. You know, it takes suffering. Warren Weresby, in one of his books, he says, Ministry without suffering, it's worth nothing. So, Apostle Paul, you know, he's trying to, to mention here and he's trying to speak with the believers here. If you really want to be faithful, you have to identify yourself with Jesus Christ. And you know, he's not talking about a religion, he's not talking about a denomination, he's not talking about a church, he's talking about Christ, to be in Christ you know, having that that experience, uh, 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 um, experiential knowledge. I remember when we stopped, when we came from Romania, we stopped in North Carolina. And uh, uh, my my wife has nine brothers and sisters, so we stopped at one of the churches with one of her sisters, and this preacher was just unbelievable. He was just wonderful. And at one point he said, he said, uh, you know, there is the... Uh, buddhist religion and there is the muslim religion and there is this religion and that religion but there is one true faith it is the faith in jesus christ amen and here is what apostle paul says you can be in any church and you can attend any denomination and be part in any religious movement and so forth to be in him to experience christ it's what is the most important well, you know, uh, I, I remember, you know, uh, even in Romania, when I, I mentioned to you uh, the scriptures, the scriptures were forbidden during communism. How can you find Christ if you don't have the scripture? And you know what they do, during communism, what they did? And I remember, if you read the book, The Red Horizon, it uh, speaks about the, the, uh, the evilness of the communist regime. They, they would confiscate the Bibles, they would send it to the paper company, they would melt the Bibles and turn them into the toilet paper. And people would find scripture verses on the toilet paper. It was so evil. But let me tell you how things have changed. Things have changed. few years back, Bible was forbidden. But now, not only that the Bibles are being printed, the government comes in and offers free downtown land, prime property, to build the churches. They are inviting you, and he says, Please build a new churches for free. Can you believe that? Imagine the city all here in Rodeo or Hercules and so forth. They come and say, You want to build, build a church? We'll give it to you. Just build a church, yeah. Can you believe that? Yes. Nah. Well, anyway, it's interesting that um, uh, mandatory by law and every elementary school all the way to high school, right after the collapse of communism, Bible classes are mandatory are mandatory. Uh, children have to be exposed to the words of God. How can you identify with Christ if you don't know the word of Christ? You know? Imagine. Every child have to attend Bible classes just as important as chemistry, as history, as biology. Because people have realized, yes, they have They have kicked God out of every aspect of life for 50 years. They have destroyed the minds, the nation. And they've realized in order to heal the nation. You remember the verse. If my people will humble themselves and pray, I will heal the land. How can you heal the land without the medicine, without the scripture? So the process here of identifying with Jesus Christ. Apostle Paul says to be in him. And you know to fellowship and, and be conformed to his death. Thirdly, that I want to mention to you here is, not only that being faithful, you need to have a true sense of value, a true sense of identity. But lastly, okay, okay, a faithful man has to have a true sense of direction and a true sense of determination. And you know, if you read the passages from verses 12... 13 and 14 you know apostle paul you know it's just amazing to see people in romania they don't want to lose it again now that they've got it they want to make the most of it they want they are so determined not to not to repeat the history again you know so when you read the passage twice he says i want to press on in order that i may lay hold of Then he goes on and he says here, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. You know, he's looking forward. He's so determined. And he speaks here about the goal. I press on for the second time. Towards the goal for the prize of the onward call, the call of God, you know. It's just amazing to see for the believer today, you know, how determined are we? I want to read the passage to you from... uh, from Ephesians here yeah. that has been really uh, uh, challenging for us in our, in our serving decision to serve the Lord is in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and 17. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise unwise man, but as wise. This is Ephesians 5, 15. 16, making the most of every opportunity Because the days are evil. Making the most of every opportunity. So then do not be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is. Can you believe that? You know to us when we came back. We were a little bit disappointed. It seems like. It seems like. In some of the churches. Not here. This is not the case here. But people are losing the passion. They're losing the enthusiasm. It looks like we have a Christianity that is tired. You know, rheumatism, or I don't know how to call it. Seems like they've just lost the passion for the Lord. And you know why? It's because, you know, we don't understand. It's the freedom that God has given to us. And for us that are serving, you know, away from here, this Valley Bible, for us is Jerusalem, you remember, go. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the rest, to the out parts of the world. And for us, this is Jerusalem here. If you're strong, we are going to be strong out there. If you're weak, it's just a matter of time, we are going to be weak too. So we pray that America and Valley Bible will continue to be strong before the Lord. America has been pioneered missions. The Bible is printed here. The broadcasting, the... The, the, the preaching has been done from here. I remember as a young child when my grandfather and my father locked the gates and covered the windows and tuned the voice of America on to listen, to listen to the preaching of the gospel. It was the blessing that we all got in Eastern Europe because of the faithfulness of the believers here. May God bless you. And thank you so much for being partners with us and reaching out.
0: You may be seated. I, this is why I love teaching. You never knew uh, if it took or not. It took in John. And you know what? I couldn't wait till those classes was over because it was six Saturdays that we taught six hours a day. So I left at five in the morning to get to uh, Las and, uh But you know what? You never know with the Word of God how it impacts a life. And it impacted John. Um, you. you know, years ago when John came by, they were just building this conference center. And uh, you dear people, we were able to give them $25,000 at that time. And uh, Malcolm and Joe Lee and Carol and I went out and were having lunch with the trends, And we asked some questions like this. Uh, what are some of the great needs? And it was sort of amazing to hear John say, well, when you're in an agrarian culture and you're out in all these villages, our pastors can't afford gas. They pay $7 a gallon uh, there. And because, uh, as he told the story, it reminded me of my father telling stories that during the Depression, one of his pastors got up and said, don't bring any more cabbage. I can't eat anymore because during the depression, they never had any money to give the pastor. So they gave him eggs. They gave him bacon, but you can't buy gas with cabbage. You can't. And he said, our pastors don't have enough money to buy gas. And so getting around is difficult. Well, what was wonderful is last week uh, we checked with Ron Hughes said, well, you know, We've been in these tight times. How are we doing on missions? How are we doing on missions? He says, well, guess what? You people have been supporting missions and provide a surplus. And we said, well, why don't we just give him ten thousand dollars? And to uh, keep helping right there because you gave it. You gave it. And I want to tell you, this is really the momentum about us pushing about paying off this mortgage. You know why? We pay $20,000 a month to bank interest. I'd rather send it to our missionaries. I don't want to pay interest anymore. I'm tired of paying interest. I want out of it. And you know what? I don't think if you had it in this congregation, you've never given it to be able to eliminate the $4 million whatever. But guess what? We've got a God that's got it. And if our priorities are right, if we want to give it to the right places, God will see to it we have it. And so we're going to eliminate a mortgage because God's going to provide. Don't be looking at your pocket. Don't look at mine. I want to give. You do the possible. God to do the impossible. He didn't tell you that part.